Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I was exposed to different relationship styles, and I, I felt quite, I think I was threatened by them because I was still really honed into this idea of monogamy. I didn't really know that there was another way to do it without, like, I, I was afraid of the deconstruction that I would have to do around that because I was already deconstructing my sexuality. Welcome back to Openly Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Spandiari, with a tan if you're watching on YouTube. And this week, I am so excited because we are bringing back one of our former guests, Shelby Terrell. If you remember back in March, she joined us to talk about pleasure activism and on-screen intimacy. But this week, we are going to be diving deeper into her own personal experience growing up Mormon. We'll also be talking about deconstructing conventional relationship ideas exploring your own personal pleasure, and of course, a little side of kink. So let's dive into the episode. We're back. Um, <laughs> well, we're back. You're in New York and I'm in Mexico, so I'm not really back, but we're back together for yeah, follow-up yes, episode. So many people, I'm sure that listened to the first episode, wanted to know more about you because we dove right into your work and the importance of it. So you casually threw out there before when we chatted that you grew up Mormon. And yeah. I'm just thinking, of course, how does someone who grows up in an environment that's so sort of restricted, right, sexually and mm -hmm. so many other ways become such a mm -hmm. liberated, you know, sex positive human doing amazing work on yeah. this planet? Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I laugh because I, you know, it's, it is part of my journey. And I know that growing up religious and in a purity culture is part of so many people's journey. But, um, and so I really, really enjoy connecting with people on that. And it feels like so long ago. And there are times when it is just right in my face, super present. And so, um, yeah, I grew up Mormon in Utah. And my family kind of, fluctuated between going every Sunday and then there's um not necessarily services but activities throughout the week that you participate in based on your age or um gender and the entire culture in Utah specifically everything is if I if I wasn't going to church it wouldn't matter because if I wanted to hang out with my friends I could but if only if I would go with them to their uh, church activities. So I would have been surrounded by it either way. A lot of the public school policies, things like dress code or um, how the culture of the schools run was based off of Mormon protocols and ethics and values. And so it was just deeply, deeply um, immersed and enmeshed into the culture of where I grew up. And a lot of that was around um, my body and my sexuality. And I, you know, there was a lot that I didn't really understand. There was a lot of shame and judgment and 
guilt placed on it because as a social like socialized female woman growing up in Utah my job is to be a partner and procreate um I'm I think I'm one of the only people from my graduating class that isn't married with several kids and a mortgage wow I I was actually going to ask, can I ask you a quick question before we go forward? My mind's immediately going to the things that I felt weren't right, right? When I was a teenage girl, I I was always very outspoken. So at this Mm -hmm. point growing up, when you're starting to develop your own sense of sexuality and probably even younger than being a teen, if I'm being honest, Mm -hmm. were you speaking with um, girlfriends or even, you know, other just people in general, your age, your peers about these feelings of repression or was it something that girls you just don't talk about no you really don't talk about and the only time that something like that was brought up it was always um fear-based you can't do this and it was usually the cisgendered heterosexual men in the church telling you what you could and could not do with your body and I have a very distinct memory and in high school I really started to question things I was really active in my um I did my undergrad in modern dance I grew up dancing and was a performer so I was really fortunate and I think that that was what fueled my soul was to be part of a community of creatives and I think we I mean there's a lot of us that were closeted until our later you know like early mid-20s and um we kind of band together and um but I remember in high school I really started to struggle and I was feeling so hypersexual and then hypersexual in, con- in in the context, which now I know is just like myself and that is beautiful and wonderful and fine. And I can celebrate that. But in the time and space that I was in, it was demonized and it was a sin and it was all these things. Like I remember I went out with this boy on a date and we ended up making out and I had such a great time. I was like, yes, I got to experience this. I felt really fulfilled. And the next day he comes up to me and he says, I'm so sorry for what I did to you. I'm going to go confess to the Bishop. And I think you need to do the same. And I was immediately like, what the fuck? Like shamed by him felt like already struggling because of the uh, external messages and the internalized, um, shame and guilt and judgment that I was placing on myself. And so I went and I spoke to the bishop and um, he, I remember he like, he came around the desk and he sat on the edge of the desk and he like proceeded to ask questions that were completely inappropriate, out of line and really like probing for details, like egging me on in a way. And it's something that has stuck in my mind as, and I know that there are some other like, scenarios that people have gone through and I I really feel feel for them um but just it was it was really wild and how we're we're taught one thing how it's internalized and then how that reflects on our behavior um masturbation is a massive one for me I didn't fully masturbate until I was like 23 and I was aware of what I was doing um but I had been having sex since I was 16 and I think that there was such an internalized shame around it like I cannot do this but I started having sex and so this is the path of like sin that I have essentially chosen to go down and so if I wanted to get off I would just go fuck someone instead of 
taking care of myself in this really, again, beautiful, healthy way that I celebrate now. But the reality was, is like, I was doing, I was masturbating since I was like eight years old doing splits in my yeah. dance class. I was like, what is this magic? And I would, oh my God, I was same. a very flexible child and teenager. Yeah. I was like, but it, it's things like that, that I, even in, even in my, like, uh, in my marriage, there were things that would ha- like, we would have experiences or have conversations and I'd be like, oh my God, this is fully parts of myself or parts of my psyche or parts of my thought process that I just never thought or questioned or challenged because I was taught that this is like the one way. And it really came out with my body too, like my bodily autonomy and how um, like, I just love being naked. Yeah. because it's my my again it's like my body and my choice to do what I want with it but for so long I was told this modesty and like I had to cover this parts of my body so that I wouldn't um be portrayed as a slut which I love to be portrayed like I fully reclaim and reown that word but it was you know it's just like I've gone from one ex- I've gone from one extreme to the other and I'm really balanced I feel like I've found some balance and I'm continuing to find my balance but um it is still a journey (laughs) this is very long-winded answer well first of all no thank you so much for sharing so much I I mean I asked you a very broad question so I'm glad that you kind of took us through your history in that way you. you know we talk about shame and I think you know this is across the board for so many people but especially people who grew up in purity culture Um, We often find that shame will then manifest itself in dark ways um, where, you know, Mm -hmm. for some people it's self-harm, for some people it's acting out. Before you started to reclaim yourself as whole and accept all of Mm -hmm. you, we're still living in this kind of purity culture and dealing with a lot of shame from 16 Mm -hmm. years old um, or, or maybe even earlier because depending on like what you were wearing or how you felt or people looked at you and it being like your fault, how did it manifest in your life? Um, Mm. Yeah, great question. I was really, I was using the guise of privacy. Um, What I thought I was being private about, I was actually very secretive of and shameful. And I thought that if I was like, no, 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 that, that is, private then it I was able to reflect back later and realize it was because I was ashamed of it and I really love Renee Brown's work around shame and vulnerability and I think that I once I was able to name it and find support and solace in the fact that I wasn't the only person experiencing that that And she says something really beautiful that vulnerability begets vulnerability. And when you are able to name the shame and and when you, and you, when you bring it out to the light, similar to fears and similar to um, hopes and dreams and love, like if you bring it out into the air, then it can either like give it less power with shame or it can give it more power with the, the more positive things in light. And so I think that the more that we can share and connect, with people then they can they can it gives them the opportunity to support you in that 
healing process as well. And they're like, fuck, I've got, I've been through that too. <laughs> and yeah. like, I see you and I hear you. So I think that mm-hmm. realizing what I was being secretive of and being able to lean on support systems to come through that and realize that the shame is not something it does not make me bad. It does not make me evil. It does not mean I'm going to hell and I'm not sinning. It's um, something that was external messaging that is not true to what I believe or what I feel. And it is my journey to rec- like to claim what is true to me and, and, and put that out into the world and live that truth. Mm, absolutely. It's such a beautiful way to respond all of the like self-reclamation right reclaiming the word slut reclaiming the word pussy like all of these things that oh yeah were twisted to be derogatory that are so inherently actually beautiful to our human nature um right yeah so I appreciate that I kind of chuckled a little bit when you said like uh the word hell because you know being raised catholic which I don't think is um it's good that purity culture is such a spectrum, right? And I feel like Catholicism oh, yeah. is like is like the sexy, guilty version of purity culture. Yeah, in some weird way. But yeah. um, I, I laughed a little bit because when you brought up hell, I think one of the turning points for me in realizing like that this is a lot of bullshit and I don't yeah. have to subscribe to it was when I started to feel like hell sounded like the place I wanted to go. Where if everyone else was going to heaven, I was like, I'm going to be so bored. Like, why yeah. would I ever want to yeah. go to that place? Sounds like yeah. me and all my fun friends can be, and I think it was like very young, probably like 11 or 12 years old. But it was, it's, it's funny now, but at the time, imagine like, you know, being a child and, and realizing that like the thing that you're told is so, so bad is everything that you yeah. either want or feel like or think about. Um, and that was sort of a big, I think maybe like the first big aha for me of like, mm-hmm. I, this does not compute for me anymore. If I'm not supposed to right. be moving towards this thing. Um, but I, it kind of made me curious. So what, what was the like aha for you that started to bring you out mm-hmm. of the shame and wanted to like, you know, leave Mormonism and really change your life in such a yeah. radical way? I mean, I I really appreciate you sharing that because I feel quite similar. I think that the, I started to identify and see parts of myself in other people that I, I was like, oh, you're doing this, which I was told is wrong, but I actually really respect you. And I I, like, I want to be like you when I grow up and really identifying, um, where I was having so much internal conflict about what I I just never felt like I could continue living a life where I was constantly hiding parts of myself or denying parts of myself and um, feeling like I just was constantly going on a path of self-denial around my sexuality, around my body. Like I wanted to wear spaghetti strap tank tops and a skirt that was a little shorter than it should have been for school but like I'm gonna you're telling me that I'm gonna go to hell for that like yeah Um, but then like I saw people and I was like these are good people who are doing amazing things and like and in college I, I I really stepped away from the church when I was in my I think that like physically we kind of stopped going and 
people in my family still identify with the religion and um, uphold some of those practices. And I really started to step away in question when I was in high school and I was able to start having some more autonomy in my personal life. And then when I went to college for dance and I was surrounded by people, I, I desperately tried to go out of state for school, uh, out of state for school. Yeah. Um, but the University of Utah had one of the top dance programs in the country at the time. And I got a really amazing scholarship. And within that, I was able to meet a lot of people from around the world. They sent I, they sent me to Germany for two summers to study at the State Ballet School of Berlin. And just the exposure to all of these different people and cultures and religions outside of Utah, outside of Mormonism. And um, again, seeing myself in other people, in my queerness, in my sensuality, in how I wanted to engage and move throughout the world. I would like, I wanted to be able to engage with certain behaviors that I was always told were bad and wrong. And of course that made me want to do them more. But um, I also took a class on religion in college where we really studied a lot of Eastern religion and the basis of Western religion. And I was able to question at an academic level as well as, as well as an experiential level. And from there, I was kind of like, religion period it, it it actually put me into a an extreme place of anger and frustration that i'm it took me i don't know 10 years to to not be so angry about it and to be able to have compassionate and curious conversations with people who still are religious in my life mm-hmm. um and not like blow them off because they were religious at all i think because it fucked me up in so many ways that i I was resentful for and now I'm coming around to have some appreciation that I can identify with people in there's many reasons why people have um have religion in their life at varying degrees and capacities and um it's still something that I'm trying to understand and work around because of what it the damage that it did and at the same time be grateful for it because it's made me who I am today yeah absolutely I can really really resonate with that there there was a long period of time where i was like atheist against yeah. you know well i mean and i didn't even really know what atheism was but just against any kind of organized religion but you know i think mm-hmm. similar to you we like grow we find more compassion for all things you can yeah. easily see yeah why people feel like they need a structure to relate to mm-hmm. And in many yeah. ways, their relationship to their religion might be very similar to like our relationship with our, you know, whatever spirit, universe, mm-hmm. energy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we all just need a bit more understanding, <laughs> truly. Yeah. And from where you come at, come from in the world, like looking at indigenous cultures and how they... Uh, engage with the universe and nature and the environment around them, like my Mormonism is, is upset. You know, they go off of the book of Mormon that Joseph Smith found in the upstate New York. And, and I was like, but what? Like pulling back <laughs> and looking at it from a, from a macro lens, I was like, how are, how, why do we think we are the only one right true way when you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evidence of other things. And so it's yeah. also, I'm able to kind of pull back now and look at the, from my understanding, the essence of religion is 
how can we love each other more and how can we show up for each other more and be human beings supporting each other and and so I try to hold on to that aspect of it and especially you know my my grandmother passed away in August and it was the first big loss that I've had in my life in that way and Mm -hmm. having a lot of conversations with my grandfather around his belief in God and what does that mean to him and um where did she go and explaining that and talking to people about that and um I think that that also softened me a bit because I can understand for some people that there's a lot of peace in that. And at the same time, I'm like, look at how much war and destruction and hate and conflict is in the world because of organized religion. Like, I think that there's a difference between spirituality and organized religion and where, you know, politics comes into play and how we try to police people's bodies under the guise of some almighty being. It's just like, I don't know. Yeah, I know. There's so much there. Um, it's like anything in life. We can, it's just all perspective. How yeah. we see one thing is completely different from how other people see it and engage with it. And that's why, like, yeah. we are already living in a multiverse. You know, I think people, yeah. um, you know, forget that for for everything, there's so much light and dark and then levels. Mm-hmm. Because oh, right, yeah. what, can be, what can be peaceful and devotional and serene and like the most beautiful thing that someone experiences in their life which is religion for so many people for Mm -hmm. for people like us has been you know detrimental and traumatizing and um yeah yeah, there's just individual experiences across the board yeah um yeah so i want to kind of explore now your experiences Mm -hmm with non-monogamy, with polyamory, mm-hmm. with kink. Um, and I think the best, well, the, the place that we can dive in is I think what you experienced first. So you're spending time in Germany, you know, you're like fully embodied as a dancer. You're seeing like really cool, maybe models of what's possible for you and other people that are inspiring you. Mm-hmm. How do you start to dip your toes into non-traditional like relationship styles and you know kink being its own entire field to play in for everything from mm-hmm. sexual expression to healing so what came yeah. first yeah um i as you <laughs> me I, I like that one um i was a serial cheater i was not um, I, I think I, I've always been a non-monogamous person, but in my early relationships, I was not doing it ethically or honest, honestly. Um, I was fulfilling my desires, but I was not communicating with my partners at the time and using sex as, a you know, and, and it's also my relationship to sex. This is where I got a lot of affirmation and, and um, comfort and satisfaction in my desires and not being able to fully communicate that to my partners and you know that's partially growing up in Utah where my partners at the time had also grown up Mormon and so there was a lot of like pulling away and what sticks and what doesn't stick and then the also oppression of just being a woman in that space and what does that mean for me versus being a man and the power dynamic that that inherently brings into heterosexual relationships or heteronormative relationships and so um, kind of battling that and having some internalized um, 
questions about my sexuality. And so I was cheating and kind of bouncing from, and then I was like a serial monogamous where I was bouncing from relationship to relationship, which in hindsight is me fulfilling my need for, to have intimacy, my, my intimate, intimately intimate, emotional and physical and mental needs filled across many platforms or people or spectrums or whatever. Um, and so in my early twenties, I moved and, and I did, I was exposed to different relationship styles and I, I felt quite, I think I was threatened by them because I was still really honed into this idea of um, monogamy. I didn't really know that there was another way to do it without like, I, I was afraid of the deconstruction that I would have to do around that because I was already deconstructing my sexuality and um, the autonomy of my body. So like the idea of reconstructing my idea of what relationships were was terrifying to me, especially because I was falling in love with someone and I was really trying to figure out my, you know, I was hired by a dance company in New York. So I moved from uh, Utah to New York and what does that look like? And then I, I started dating someone who I ended up marrying. And during the course of our relationship, there was lots of conversations around openness and then there was like okay well we'll do this if we can maintain the communication and I would sleep with someone and then it would take me like months and months and months to 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 be able to say that I did this and the kind of breakdown of that and the trial and error and then um when I was finally able to kind of it was it was kind of during the early stages of that relationship where I really was like I I am bisexual I'm pan, this is how I feel. And that kind of laid the groundwork for, okay, well, how can we have this like openness and get that need met too? And we had a um, an experience, we had a, a a threesome and it was really wonderful and great. And then afterwards I was immediately, I was like, we can't tell anyone. And they were like, what? I was like, this is my private life. And then this is where the, sh- like the identification of where is shame and where is what what is private and what is shame and where does that come into play? And so that was a moment where I was like, oh, this is where my sexual trauma from growing up Mormon is really rearing its head. So I took a step back and I went to sex therapy and my partner and I at the time, we went into couples therapy. We decided that we were going to really approach this. We're, we're like cats out of the bag. Like we're doing this. Yeah. And so we... Um, we went into couples therapy to gain the tools to really learn how to open up in a healthy ethical way and lots of again trial and error and we explored different ways of doing that and it was initially we started dating couples together um and then over the course of time we realized that we had different tastes in people and so then that opened up okay well maybe we'll start dating separately which we did and then navigating boundaries and um navigating what we each were looking for out of an open relationship and an open marriage. And at the same time we were deciding to get married. And so like, in my mind, I was really trying to open my mind and my heart while also holding space for this really deep connection. And at the time I was like, at the time um, I was really doing a lot of work. We were in couples therapy, we were in individual therapy. And then I was doing a lot of research on my own reading books, podcasts, 
trying to find community and I came across um, Dr. Jana and her work around that and um, being able to find community was really, really big for me. And mm-hmm. one of the things that she helped me identify was I like in in recognizing why you want to be or like some people identify as polyamorous uh, like they would identify their sexuality and for some people it's more of a choice and I think that that is completely to me that makes sense and that is a very valid thing and some people it's a time of their life when it makes more sense or it's the specific relationship or maybe you're in a long distance thing and it's it's it varies for various reasons um but for me at the time my sexual novelty was really high and my partner from what i understand uh their sexual novelty or their emotional novelty was a bit higher than mine and so i wasn't looking for love i was looking for like sex <laughs> and yeah. i and I was a bit younger. My sex drive is quite high. And um, and so it was, it was really interesting navigating those spaces and how to, you know, do you go in with all of the boundaries and agreements or do you, and then like chisel away or do you go in with little to none and create them as you go? And, um, right. you know, do we sleep with our friends? Do we not date our friends? Are we on apps? how many days a week? Like, what is the time? What is the schedule? Um, mm-hmm. And it's navigating all of that. And um, and then I ended up like falling in love. And that really shook my world because it's not what I was expecting. It's not what I was looking for. And, um, and it's funny because now I'm able to look at it and understand I, at the time I was like, but I can't, I, like, I just, I'm, I don't identify as polyamorous. So it's not for me. I just want to have sex with a bunch of people. But then in hindsight, looking back at my previous relationships where I was cheating, I was having these really deep emotional connections with people and I was filling my cup, but it didn't take away from my partner at the time. And so it it was really interesting. Like the older I got, the more language I was able to acquire and build context for and have practical applications. Like, and you can prepare for something and talk about it forever but then when it's actually happening to you it's like a completely different experience like you can talk yeah, about surfing mm-hmm. yeah you can talk about surfing we can talk about it all day long and like mentally have that but then as soon as you're out in the water you're like a fish you know yeah floundering a wave <laughs> yeah exactly that is yeah. one of the best um I think analogies ever about non-monogamy is like being pulled yeah. by waves when you don't know how yeah. to surf. Um, wow, you just really gave such a a big, I think, overarching picture of what it is like to be mm. in the weeds of discovering yeah. yourself as you know a fully like multidimensional sexual human on a planet that. Mm-hmm does not set us up for success in right. in sex, love relationships, emotional relating, um, so, so much. And I, again, we have so much in common. And I think maybe this is yeah. also like the case for women who grew up presenting like heteronormative, cis, whatever, you know, you have the purity culture, you have the sexual shame, you come and start to get 
liberated and then it's like oh maybe it's I can't be in love with multiple people that doesn't make sense if I'm in love yeah. with this person it means I have to leave this person because it's yeah not right it's not fair whatever the conversation that we have in our head and yeah I did a lot of these same things um but it's it's I stayed in the shame cycle for like five years where I was like no one can yeah. know, no one can know. Yeah. and like maybe a few friends found out my really close friends but you wouldn't judge me but mm-hmm. it's cool to hear always for me that like other people wake up really quickly to that and it's like no I'm, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna own it um so I think yeah it took a long time to really heal that piece of the puzzle families have a lot going on let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up like delicious lolly focus pops or lolly mellow pops for kids and for parents try three new brainy chews to help you focus chill out or get energized find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com that's o-l-l-y.com these statements have not been evaluated by the food and drug administration this product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease this podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Well, and it's hard to, yeah, it's hard when people, um, when you're going down a path that you feel is, whether it's right or wrong, that it is more true for you. And sometimes you need to go down that path in order to either affirm that or be like, okay, I tried this and it didn't work. I'm going to try something else and pivot because we, we kind of mentioned this earlier, but everyone has their own reality. Like my my ideal relationship i don't know yet because i don't have all of the pieces and my ideal relationship is happening for me right now because it's serving me in my life and if anything changes then i will have those conversations to adapt accordingly but that is my reality and i've done the work to accept that but everyone else is like yes this is my life and I'm unique and great and fun, but all of a sudden I'm in a relationship and this is my one choice and this is my one option. And this is my like, end all be all. And I'm like, wait, 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 <laughs> like, yeah. that's amazing if that's your choice, but that is not the one and only. And I think that when one of my fears was that uh, I have a lot of, um, I, I just didn't want people to think that we were opening our relationship because we needed, because it was like, failing you know like that's a a common stereotype that people are like oh they're opening their marriage because because it's gonna end because they're in trouble and you're like "Mm, no we're actually like we're coming to a place where we can have these conversations of like I love you deeply and you are my partner and 
there's there's more parts of me that are needing to be filled and um you know esther perel says this really beautifully that marriage used to be a business contract and in you know when no fault divorce was passed in the 1970s and women were able to file for divorce and able to make a bit more money and have the option to be single and be mm-hmm. a single parent or be a single woman and not have the responsibility of kids um and through that we were able to like marrying for love is relatively new mm-hmm. and all of a sudden mm-hmm. we've gone from like marrying for land to you are my everything you are my best friend my romantic partner we're going to do our laundry together and have shared finances yeah. and we're going to take each care of each other when we're sick and we're going to be mm-hmm. also like mysterious and erotic together but when if you can just pull back and be like actually I can't meet those needs for you I don't want to put that expectation on you how can we like spread the love around literally and metaphorically of so that we we don't you know have more disappointment than necessary just more love crazy amount of pressure it's a, it's an absurd amount yeah. of pressure that we, I think, yeah. especially here's the thing. If you're choosing your monogamy, cause I don't, I don't want this to feel like, oh, the monogamy doesn't work. If you are consciously choosing your monogamy mm-hmm. and you are, as we said earlier, right. We were talking about applying all of the different courses about how to open up and how to mm-hmm. navigate non-monogamy, how it can all be actually applied yeah. to your monogamy as well. They shouldn't be courses on opening up. It's just like a relationship course. Oh my <laughs> um, God. Relation, relationship well, smarter. Um, yeah, yeah exactly. but I, it's, it's like, it's an insane amount of pressure, but if you're, if you're choosing your monogamy consciously, and you're working on all of these things and you can create what I, this term that I've been kind of like oozing recently is like platonic polyamory. I feel like I have a ton of that in my own life where I have these deeply loving relationships with so many of my friends that, you know, I don't want to sleep with, but they are like, if they, if they moved or if like we had a friendship breakup, it would, it would be heartbreaking, like truly because they, yeah fill such a role in my life like I relate to them in a way that yeah. would be it would feel like a divorce like if Claude weren't in my life yeah. who's like one of my best friends for yeah. example and so I think that with this whole revolution of you know sexual expression and positivity mm-hmm. and education and non-monogamy and polyamory hopefully we'll see that spill over into all the people who are curious but might never open because they're more yeah. suited to monogamy um and and just relationships in general will get a lot healthier. Yeah. That's well, like, and I don't know about you. I love platonic polyamory. First of all, I yeah. think you should definitely like <laughs> do something with that, trademark that shit or something. But <laughs> okay. uh, it's like you, because even within those friendships too, they're unique, and you know that you can go to one person for one sense of support or conversation, and go to another friend for that. But like, you can have all of these different relationships, and they can serve you in those ways and fill your cup and and the, the analogy is often that parents love can love all of their kids you can love all of your friends you can love all of your partners and like why do we need to put these hierarchical hierarchical like expectations on people when 
you know, ultimately it's about connection and love. And, and then if there's sex and pleasure, that's really exciting too. Like it's another dimension. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to ask, and Mm -hmm. you know, if, if this isn't something that you want to open up about, it's all good, but I love to normalize the idea that relationships end not because of the Mm -hmm. non-monogamy. So yeah. Why did your marriage end? Yeah. Um, my partner and I were together for seven years, married for three or four time, time is, um, passing me. Um, I, we started dating when I was 23 and he's a bit older than I am. And, um, I think that I was just really trying, I, I was, I was a hundred different people from the time we started dating to the time our relationship ended. And I deeply like loved him and appreciate everything about our relationship and how it taught me so much about myself. And it really held space for me to evolve as a person. I, you know, I was a performer and then I was in advertising and then I was still married when I decided to go back to grad school for sex and relationship therapy. And um he was immensely supportive uh through a lot of those transitions and and the fact that I did have a lot of he held a lot of space for my sexual healing and celebrated a lot of that with me in exploring various elements of of my sexuality and of various relationship styles and um you know we're not we're all not perfect and um I fucked up along the way and I I won't speak to his part, but like, I think that I really believe in a reason, a season, a lifetime. And I think that he was definitely a reason and a season for me. And because of him, I'm, I, because of him and our relationship, I am so much the person that I am today. And I have so much appreciation for that and the relationships that it's brought into my life. And, um, and I think that I also learned that the re- even though I don't believe that us opening our marriage was a catalyst, I think that it um, illuminated the fact that we were both wanting different relationship. We, we we were both wanted different relationship styles. I want. I think ideally, I would love a. a well, I say this now, but now I'm in a different position. <laughs> but. Um, just at the time in my life, I wanted to have a more monogamous situation where my primary partner and I would explore together occasionally. And at the time he, it felt like he was wanting something that was more open all the time. And that was really overwhelming to me because I was still trying to rewire and do a lot of work. And I I needed a bit more, um, I was having a lot of insecurity around what I was going through and needed a bit more reassurance and affirmation that, I ha- I now have for myself and I can give yeah. to myself now that I don't like, it's really, I think important to be able to get that affirmation reassurance from other people as well as myself. But I think I was looking for it externally first instead of internally and then externally. Um, yeah. It and takes so there was just time, you know, like, yeah, I turned Sorry, 30 I and I <laughs> got to. Oh, no, I was just gonna say it takes a long time to develop all those like internal resources too when we're so young. And so it's like, yeah, absolutely. Wanting different relationship styles and going at non-monogamy. It's why I 
always, always am like, go slow, go slow, go slow. Because for many people, you go too fast and you like re-injure. And you have to go slow in order to develop all those internal resources for yourself. And then you can be really comfortable in all the different ways. If if nominative is suited to you. But you're going to say turn 30. Well, yeah, well, and, and I appreciate you saying that because that was something our couples therapist would often say to us is like, you need to move at the pace of the like slowest person in the room, basically. But mm-hmm. something would happen. Like, I think that I was just like a little jerky car. I was like accelerating and then I would like, like something would happen and it would backtrack me, but then I would move at a turtle's pace. And I think that my pacing also became a little difficult to deal with and I can understand that and I empathize with that absolutely like Mm -hmm. it was hard for both of us and COVID happened and like so we were like in a one-bedroom apartment in New York City trying to figure out how we can maintain this uh non like non-monogamous relationship in COVID and and like it it was something that like timing kind of and and like I said then I turned 30 and I was like oh my god I I can't do this and um this is like many things like I quit my job I went back to grad school I got divorced and I've kind of um I think that I had like you know I quit dancing and I started going into advertising so that I could make more money so that we could have a family and then I was like I actually don't want kids and like having all of these realizations that I happen in life and um yeah yeah and so like I have a lot of uh love for the relationship and I think that it was a ma- like massive learning experience and um and now i'm it was really bizarre though because after the separation i lost my sex drive completely for 6 months and that was the most um disabling like thing for me because i identify so much with my sexuality and that was something that i've been working for so long to reclaim and live my truth in and be in and then all of a sudden I'm like trying to understand a divorce and on top of that I I don't have any desire for sex even like masturbating I was like what the fuck is going on with me and so that was a really interesting time to not have any sex drive whatsoever and then start grad school for sex and relationships for sex and relationship therapy as I was going through a divorce as I have no sex drive I was it was like the most (laughs) But again, this is where like going back to platonic polyamory, I'm so grateful for my friends and my community who are like, we got you. Yeah. We're here. Well, and it's, I, I love that you said earlier about a reason, a season, a lifetime, because I think that's every single thing in our lives. And a lot of times oh, we absolutely. talk about all of our external relationships, but also you have the relationship with yourself and with your body. And so you know, we, you identified so deeply with this part of yourself and that relationship probably felt like it was drying up, but it was just also a season, a reason, whatever, a time for you to nurture other parts of yourself or like re-identify or, you know, evolve out of that identity and whatever it meant. Um, I'm curious what, Mm -hmm kind of came of that for yourself did you have a resolution or an yeah. understanding yeah yeah are we going to talk about um, kink I think... <laughs> yeah absolutely. oh my god it's coming it's it's like it's like the next part um, I totally I, forgot I was like what else yeah yeah 
Oh, don't worry. It's it's inevitable. I think when you talk to me, it'll come out eventually. Um, I I'm a big um I have I'm I think I'm I don't think I don't, don't want to say I'm blessed, but like I have discovered that I can have corgasms when I exercise and I'm a very physical person. And so like I knew that I wasn't having a libido, but I knew that I could like have that release. And so I was exercising a lot um in that six months so even though I wasn't like engaging I was still I was like I need to take care of my sexual health and I need to stay in touch with my body and so I was like trying to like do some sort of masturbation for myself even though I was it was not into it I was and that was really bizarre and then um I had a friend in New York visiting who I went to college with we danced together and they're such like a lovely human being and we went out one night and I was explaining, I was like, I had sex. It was really a thing. And, um, and we ended up sleeping together that night. And it was like one of the most beautiful, again, platonic friendships. Like I, 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 because my sex with my husband was, I really like, I loved our sex so much. I was also so afraid of the, like the next experience that I would have that it wouldn't be sat- mm. satisfying or or like beautiful or whatever and so but this was beautiful in a very different way and I was like okay and then um so I was like I'm back great um and then I started like dating a couple and then I who I met when I was out dancing one night and then um there's someone who um my my daddy dom now but at the time was just someone who I had been talking to actually when I was uh working with Dr. Jana had initially kind of reached out. Um, he's an educator in the kink and sex education space. And uh, so initially connected over work stuff. And then for about a year, we would DM and we didn't live in the same place and tried to connect for drinks various times. And then eventually a, a little over a year ago, it worked out. And um, at the time, like I had always identified as a kinky person and had sexual dynamics that were that there was some power play because in in BDSM there is a power play and not all kink is power play and so um there is that separation um mm-hmm. like BDSM is kinky but not all kink is BDSM yeah if that is, makes sense um and for those who are not familiar BDSM is an acronym for bondage dominance sadism or submission and masochism and um and so it was something that something that I've always been the power play is something I've always been really drawn to and I've always identified as more submissive but was really drawn to the idea of doming like I really love super hot femdoms I think that's like so sexy um and after this one date that we had, usually he doesn't play on first dates, and I that was not something that I was expecting. But the vibe was You're there. Really and we to play. Ended up having, yeah, I was like, wait, I'm so curious, especially because he is so well versed and an educator. And I was like, what is this experience going to be like? And it was one of the most affirming things that I've experienced because it was a space that I I was like oh I I realized that like 
it's kind of it was kind of like feeling like I'm in a bubble and like wanting to reach the edges of the bubble but realizing that it's like oh it's getting bigger and bigger around me and there's so many more things to explore and so many more opportunities and like the psychological component of it versus just the physical component like for so long sex for me was just about this these like physical sensations and the um how I not how I look but like I love the way the sex looks. I love the, I do love the aesthetics of it and I love the physicality of it. And I love the, um, the sensations of it. And then when you add in something like kink and or BDSM, there is a psychological component where there's so much self-awareness that you need to have. And, and then, and the, so we had a pre-scene consultation where um, he was like, what time do you need to be home? And I said, one. So he scheduled an Uber. We knew exactly how long my Uber was going to take, like give or take 20 minutes. So we set a timer for when the Uber was going to be there. And then he's like, how much aftercare would you like? And how, what kind of aftercare do you want? And so I was like, I want 15 minutes of cuddling and snacks, another timer. And so we knew we had like a little less than an hour to play. And then from there we talked about, you know, when was the last time you were tested? Are you comfortable with, you know, the, we we actually did not have any uh, penetrative sex that night, but it was all like manual oral toys. And then we talked about whether or not I wanted to be degraded or praised and what kind of titles I would use for him. And um, it, you know, red means stop, yellow is limit, green means go, like mm-hmm. all of the things. And then talking about certain things that I wanted to experience in this time frame. And then he's like, as soon as the music is on, timer starts. And I want you to get on your knees and crawl to the bedroom. And I was just like, okay, great. Amazing. And yeah. to be able to fully, to fully. Um, and then over the course of the year, our relationship grew and like, it's been a really beautiful evolution and being able to have so much trust and really know that when we engage in that space, because our sex is not like that every time, but like when we do have those intentional scenes, how, I know that my boundaries are 100% at the forefront. And then I, don't know, I forget who said it, but like, maybe he said it, I don't know, but like in a podcast, but um, submission is like the biggest form of consent that you can give to someone. And when you're in like fully su- in full subspace, like I have already pre-negotiated and given all of my yeses and nos, and I fully trust him to hold that space for me. And then afterwards having like my, you know, there's a thing called sub drop when you're coming out of subspace and it can feel a little, because you've just gone on this journey and all of these like things happening in your mind and your body and all of these chemical reactions. Um, and so to be able to be held in that space as well, and then you have a, a post scene breakdown, what does your consultation look like? And what did I like? What did I not like? What do I want more of next time? Are there any things that came up for me? And it's been really empowering because um, initially I was going into it because I like certain parts. Like I, I have a, my pain pleasure threshold is really like, I really like playing with that. And so that's something that I explore. And um, I really enjoy impact play and the different types of impact play, like um, spanking with a hand or floggers or paddles and just exploring these different things that don't always need to include sex, but they're more of engaging in this power dynamic and letting go of control because I'm in grad school right now. I'm in 
intimacy coordination course. I'm the oldest of six kids. I'm going through a divorce. Like sometimes I just want to lay there and like have someone like stroke my hair, call me baby girl. Yeah, I was going to say thank you and stroke your hair. Yeah, yeah, spit in my mouth and like send me home. And like it's good. It's just it's um, it's really it's something. And so last semester and and now it's spilling into the semester as well. I've been exploring and researching my research is around BDSM and trauma and whether or not people who've experienced trauma in their childhood have a predisposition towards BDSM and or kink mm-hmm. uh, because kink is used often for healing and reenacting various scenarios in your life where you can regain power. If you ha- were in a situation where you were assaulted at any point or um, whether in a domestic partnership or outside of the partnership or even in a you know our first experience with power dynamics are when we're raised and like mm-hmm. how how do you regain power and control how do you practice boundaries how can you how can you set a boundary and know that it's going to be at, and held and trusted and that is a space where you can engage and regain power and practice those things and so i found that and and you don't have to encounter any trauma or bring trauma into those places as well it can just be because it's fun and it's sexy and you like that yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of the most, I think, interesting and multifaceted tools for sexuality because it can be all those things. It can be yeah. just novel and fun to like bring eroticism back into your relationship all the way to healing and therapeutic. Mm-hmm. And I think that the dynamic of having such a strong container where, as you said, like yeah. all your yeses and nos are already pre-negotiated just allows such a full surrender into ultimate presence where there's nothing else that you need to think about. It's one of the most like beautiful and liberating spaces to be in. I just, in the, I'm like a, I'm like a baby kinkster, but in the Mm -hmm. little bit that, yeah, like that I've experienced. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's, it's funny. I always, um, well, not always, but I, I've said it on the show a couple of times, like when my husband and I met, we had very kinky sex and tons of impact play. Mm-hmm. Neither of us had any experience. So there wasn't a lot right. of conversation. There was nothing. And not that right. you know either of us were trying to hurt each other, but like these were things that we would mildly talk about and I would like ask for or, you know, affirm that I liked it. But, and then you know, yeah. as our relationship went on, we focused a lot less on that and more on non-monogamy, but now we're inviting it back in mm-hmm. in a new way that's really interesting because we're okay, we're like, okay, like let's go back to school and like, okay, so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna talk about this and pre-negotiate it. And I'm I'm actually yeah. so grateful that you took us through everything that you did with your daddy dom, mm-hmm. because for everyone listening, that is a really complete way to set up your seat and to talk about boundaries. When when we say like have a million conversations up front, this is exactly what we're talking about. So you can have like a strong container because it's it's almost like that masculine and feminine dance, not talking about gender at all because we like always elevate it here. Masculine Uh and feminine are energies. And the masculine is the container that you need for the feminine to be able to be like wild and expressive and Mm -hmm. fully like drawing everything in to the body and the experience 
but in a contained way. Because if you don't have a container, you don't actually feel safe. Right. So yeah. it's so beautiful. I super appreciate you taking us through that journey. And I would say too, for people who are listening that might not even be interested in like BDSM or even mm-hmm. kink, like this is a fun way to set up and be intentional about your experience, period. Even if you yeah. don't want to, you know, yeah. bring in toys or bring in role play or anything, but to to be like, oh, we have a whole hour. How can we fill that time? Or what would you like to do after? What would make yeah. you feel like, how do you want to, there's something that my husband and I have been playing with a lot. And it's, you know, it's like, we're always just like looking for something new. And we started it when we were in Asia um, at the beginning of this year of like, how do you want to feel like, and it's just something super basic. So we're not always setting up these scenes, but there's always a, right. like, right before we know we're about to be intimate, like what, how do you want to feel three words of like what you're, mm. what you're trying to create in this experience, yeah. even just that centers us in a way that we otherwise wouldn't have it. It, it attunes, right. uh, we attune to each other's energy that way. Yeah. Like, okay. I love that. Yeah. That's so beautiful. I um I think another way that people if they're not interested in kink or BDSM is to just it's so subjective like what I consider vanilla sex could be super kinky to other people and vice versa and how how you can be curious and exploratory for yourself and not judgmental and what is think about what is sex to you is it one of my one of my favorite things is like I like if I make eye contact with my partner across the party there is like an energy a look a vibe I'm like I am so stoked to fuck you and I am starting to undress you right now like like there's this like thing that goes on for me I'm like sex starts whenever I want it to and like is it in how you touch each other when you walk past them to go to the kitchen like it is your own experience in your journey. And so like, A, what is sex to you? And you and your partner or partners write it down and compare and be like, oh my God, like, let's get it going. Or like a yes, no, maybe list. It's not to say that you need to do everything, but like, how can, you know, you, oh, you want to have sex in the bathroom next time we go to dinner? Like, great, let's do it. Like, I didn't know you wanted to do that. Like, and, and to just, sex doesn't need to be so serious. And it, and I think that if we engage with it in a more curious and playful way, like pleasure is a gift that everyone can and benefit from. And it, I, I just, my whole goal is to have people reclaim that in a way that like, it doesn't need to be policed by anyone. It shouldn't be policed at all. It's, it's yourself and your body and your relationship to it. You can give yourself that pleasure. You can share that pleasure with people that you love and care about. Mm, so beautiful. That is an amazing place to, uh, I think, cap this because as we talked about earlier, you are coming back because I know I do, but I think everyone listening wants to know about your work and about your thesis. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Give us a little, give us like a high level of exactly what you are working on at this moment and then we'll come back in a month or so and dive into that. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm figuring out my thesis right now, something around... Uh, the systemic gatekeeping of um, sex education on a cultural, uh, political, religious, and cultural level and how it impacts sex 
gender and relationships and like who holds the information and who gets to decide who gets what information and ultimately how do we reclaim that as people yeah and humans thank you so much thank you i'm so happy yes yes all right folks that is shelby terrell um we will definitely be having her back uh (laughs) it's like the connection is definitely there um as always please don't forget to rate and review the show. It helps more people find our work. Um, as you know, we get we get banned here and there. <laughs> so the more people that are sharing it and reviewing it and um, yeah, just passing it along to people who are interested in this work and find it important, the, the better view we can have for longer. And lo- I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm rambling at this point. Go rate and review the show. I love you all. I'll see you next week. Okay.